0: Are you paving the way for the life you want? Facing decisions that may affect you personally and financially? The Decision Dialogues podcast, brought to you by Modera Wealth Management, presents personal stories about navigating through life's pivotal moments. Narratives that we hope will inspire you as you create your own story. You'll learn what influenced their next steps and gain insights that could help you with your own critical choices. Welcome to Decision Dialogues.
1: Thanks for joining us on Decision Dialogues. We're thrilled to have you along. My name is Mark Willoughby, and I'm a principal and wealth manager and the chief operating officer of Modera Wealth Management LLC. Today, my colleague Mindy Nira, senior financial advisor from our New Jersey office, and I will be chatting with Cindy Chen. Cindy Chang is the managing partner of Dwayne Morris's Los Angeles office, Dwayne Morris LLP. A law firm with more than 800 attorneys and offices across the United States and internationally serves a broad array of clients. Cindy litigates complex business, class action, and commercial disputes involving contracts, products liability, product safety and recall, business torts and fraud, insurance coverage, trademarks, and real estate. Welcome everyone to the show, and I will hand it over to Mindy now.
2: Thanks, Mark. And hi, Cindy. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and so we can jump right into it. You have quite an impressive resume, so we have a lot to talk about today, I think. We could get started with, you know, I'd love to hear how you chose the law profession or rather how law chose you, maybe.
3: Sure. I went to law school to try to find myself because I knew I liked debate and political science, but I honestly didn't really know what I'd end up doing or what I was getting myself into In fact, I liked writing a lot, and I thought I'd be a journalist with a law degree under my belt. When I went to law school, I ended up going through the general influence of working for a law firm and so forth and got veered into working for a law firm in private practice.
2: Wow. So have you been able to incorporate some of that journalism into what you do now?
3: Well, yes. Writing and analysis is really integral to my practice.
2: That's great. So how about the journey uh, from when you started to now you're a partner of the firm?
3: Yes, it's been a long journey. And to be honest with you, it's not been an easy one. I can tell you that my first year as a lawyer, I almost fell out of the practice of law. I um, was a litigator and I wanted to become a trial lawyer. And the firm that I was working at, the, you know, Major law firm partner there, whose name is on the letterhead, told me I'd never be a trial lawyer because he thought I was meek and and soft-spoken. And, you know, I don't know if I really was. Perhaps there was some unconscious bias as to, you know, me being an Asian-American lawyer and a female in my first year of practice, I went home really stressed because not only the practice of law is very challenging in and of itself, especially as a litigator when you're in a very adversarial type of practice and you're working with people who are really stressed out with egos and a lot of pressure. And you know, I really questioned whether I wanted to continue with the law, but luckily for me, I continued on. I moved law firms. And I had to move several times until I got to my ultimate law firm right now. And I really started to get into the groove once I found a place that I could thrive and really established what it means to be a lawyer, which is helping people and advocating on what you think is right.
2: So tell me more about the type of law that you do. Um, I know Mark just listed off the type of work you, you do, but what does that all mean?
3: I think of myself as a problem solver for businesses. I've been fortunate enough to handle a large variety of issues and disputes on behalf of small to very large companies. And they can range from issues involving contracts, real estate, securities, fraud, employment, intellectual property, trade secrets. And even if I don't have a particular specialty for the need, I get a subject matter expert to help. It could be like uh, subject matter expertise in tax or bankruptcy in corporate. So I'm somewhat of also a project manager and think of myself as very extremely resourceful. I could get calls on a daily basis about some situation. Um, An employee has stolen a trade secret or there is a problem or defect with a product. And how do do we minimize exposure? Or we have a dispute with a vendor who's not paying us. Or there's goods stuck somewhere with governmental authorities, and how do I get them out? I had a call recently of a client who said they have a data breach, and what do I do? You know, people come to me with a business problem. It's not necessarily a lawsuit, and, um, you know, although it can be, but I try to get it resolved in a creative fashion, and I can take cases to trial. um, And that's what we all know about before, you know, a judge or a jury but litigation can be very expensive. And so I try to very much look at the big picture. For example, while you can win on the merits of a lawsuit, that actually might not be a win if you realize how much you actually spent time and money and resources expended. And so it may not really be a win from a financial perspective. So I really need to figure out what the client wants and, you know, the goals are different from company to company, from startup to to public company.
2: Wow, that's a lot to manage and sort of prior. It sounds like you're prior, prioritizing for your clients. You're helping them think through the different creative solutions, not just going right to trial at the start. So going back to the the first law firm you spoke to who told you that you couldn't be a trial lawyer and that unconscious bias what type of advice would you have for anyone joining the industry now or joining the profession who wants to become a partner and faces some of these biases that might impact their future or what they might um, believe is a bias? Against them?
3: There is unconscious bias um, that exists not just in the legal profession, but everywhere. And speaking from my own personal experience, which is in the legal profession, the challenges that I've seen is the institutional barriers for women and minorities, especially in a very male-dominated profession. And to be honest with you, the law and handling a legal issue, you can research it, you can analyze it, you can strategize with a team. That's actually not that hard. Um, Once you figure out, you know, you can find the resources to get what the law is. So that hasn't been a problem. And actually, I love figuring out the legal solution. The problem and the challenges has really been dealing with other people and the institutional barriers. Just speaking a little bit more about the experience is that often as a woman, even as a woman of color, we're often mistaken as the legal assistant or the court reporter um, and not necessarily the lawyer. And there are many times in a situation where you can be even with someone who knows who you're, that you're a lawyer, you're either you're undermined, you're underestimated, disrespected, talked over, talked down to, or someone's taking credit for something you did. And so you know, this has been a passion for me to speak out and mentor and help women, uh, especially women of color in the profession in trying to find their own voice and their own style and navigating this profession.
2: That is great to hear that you're doing that and very important. You're right. It's across many, if not all, professions that we see see this type of thing. And Well, to that end, I know that you are a frequent speaker on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Could you tell us more about your passion in this area? I think it's great that you're mentoring women and women of color in your field. What about some of the organizations you're with?
3: Uh, yes, I've had the privilege and honor to work and lead an organization as president of NAPHABA, the acronym stands for National Asian Pacific American Bar Association. And I have served as president of another local bar association in Los Angeles and have been in leadership for many other organizations and nonprofits, including currently serving as a commissioner on the ABA, Commission on Women in the Profession. And that work, as I was talking about before, has been my passion. It's promoting and advocating for women in the profession and minorities in the profession. And with that work, not only do we do things like advocate for diverse judicial appointments, including talking to the White House and talking to senators, we've also filed amicus briefs all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court on positions that we think are important to our groups. We've worked and partnered with many other racial and ethnic groups and other underrepresented groups like LGBT lawyers and lawyers with disabilities. And we find that having a united voice on these issues has really helped to move the needle. And I was, as I was saying before, it's just so important to me that women, especially women of color, develop their own voice and style For a long time, the traditional notion of a lawyer is a tall white male representing you in court, again, as a very male-dominated profession, but why is it that women and minorities have to try to get in and fit in in this old boys club? And so instead of trying to overcome and climb barriers that have been put before them, instead, let's work on tearing down those barriers and redefine what a modern lawyer looks like. So, you know, I've been talking about diversity inclusion for many years, since the start of my career, almost two decades ago. Unfortunately, progress has been very slow, but I'm very hopeful that recent developments in, in our world are getting more people to be cognizant of these issues. And, you know, gone are the days of, I think, a very competitive environment, especially in the legal profession, where I recall women elbowing other women because of the perception that there's only one seat at that table for female. We're all in this together. When you get that seat at the table, how are you going to create another seat for the next woman or minority? Because that only strengthens the organization and amplifies your voice there. Yeah, that's
2: a that's a great point. It's not about, you know, filling someone else's seat at the table to pull up another chair and join the table, join the conversation, and having room for that. Um, so that's just wonderful to hear that you're doing this work. I want to go back to some of the, the law that you practice. I know I've also seen that um, you advocate for the American Disability Act. Is that a big part of what you do? How often are you seeing cases like this or you know, what usually comes from it? I'd love to hear more about that.
3: Yeah, it's a part of my practice. You know, I have clients on both sides where, mostly on businesses that I represent, where they are doing the best that they can in trying to accommodate and make their business as open and accessible to consumers. And, you know, it's just, it's good work that I'm proud of. That's great. That's great. One of my areas of focus in financial
2: planning is disability. So it's very intriguing to me. So I'd love to hear about it. You no, know, thinking about financial decisions that you make, what type of personal or financial decisions, maybe difficult decisions that you've had to make over your career, the beginning up to becoming a partner.
3: So currently I'm I'm am I'm single and I have two young kids. And I have to do that along with being a leader of a major law firm and some community organizations. And it's been very hard to balance all of those different things. That's been a you know a challenge in you know, trying to figure it out and doing it at different rates at different times. The most challenging decision that I've had to make personally is probably having to go through a divorce and that was a very difficult and an emotional challenge that I've had to overcome. And that a divorce has an impact on everything, your family, your friends, social circle, and, and your finances. As to the financial aspect of that, I've had some very hard lessons, to be honest. When I was working really hard during my rise up the law firm ladder and doing long hours to make partner, I... I really wasn't paying that much attention to my financial situation. I just assumed things were good and I relied on someone else to manage things. After I got divorced, I realized that I had significant credit card debt and other debts that were really overwhelming and, and astronomical. It was a pretty low point for me. I didn't really know what to do. I had to you know, get it together and seize back control and get visibility on my finances. And I'm no longer in debt, paid every cent off. I never want to go back to that place again. It does feel so much more freeing and empowering.
2: Wow. Wow. I mean, it's just great that you you overcame that struggle
3: and being in debt.
1: No, Cindy, knowing what you know now, what would you say to your younger self?
3: Yeah, I would say get a financial planner or or advisor, and look to the future and have visibility and do not rely on on someone else. I mean, you really need to be personally in the know of what is going on as to your personal finances. Great advice.
2: In approaching decisions in general, what is your best advice on how to approach a decision?
3: As a leader of my law firm and a leader of some organizations, it's always been integral to me to do one simple thing, and I use this in everywhere, which is I listen to all perspectives before making a decision. There have been many times where I could have easily rushed to judgment and get emotional about certain issues. But when I take a moment to step back and just think, how does the other side feel Or what is this other person's side of the story? Am I really listening to what's going on here Um, other than jumping to my own conclusions or my own unconscious biases? That has helped me in making so much better decisions. That extra step or moment has probably stopped me from pushing send on a particular email that I would have regretted later. (laughs) And I think that that has demonstrated my leadership to others because I think you know, I've been very deliberate and insightful and thoughtful when I make a decision.
2: Thinking about your practice now and the way it's structured, you mentioned um, mentoring. Do you have a, a formal mentorship program within the firm? Is that something that junior partners or junior lawyers can take advantage of?
3: Yes, we have a formal mentoring program that's very common in large law firms. But i actually am a big proponent of informal mentoring i think a lot of great relationships are formed organically when you have some real synergistic relationship with someone that you're getting something out of that relationship and the other person is getting something out of it it's a mutual relationship where there's a give and take and interests that are aligned and so i just have a lot of mentoring relationships organically because there's some some people that I really like and they really like me and we we get along great and they'll call me and I'll call them too when I need advice. What would you say
2: to a young person joining um, maybe a young female in how they would find a mentor or develop that mentor relationship if they don't have a formal program or or maybe going around a formal program and becoming more informal
3: Well what I tell young lawyers is, Just don't put your head down and just focus on the work. You actually have to know the organization and get outside of the office and meet people. And there are different personalities in our organization and you might not get along with everybody. So they really just do have to get out of their desk, you know, network. We have multiple offices and find someone that you have, you know, some synergy with. That's great. Okay, so... Last question, this is a, a
2: fun one. What is the last decision you had to make today? And it could be non-financial.
3: Okay, well, first, since we're in the pandemic and I've been working remote for over a year now, I guess the fun or the funny response to this is I have to wake up each day deciding whether I'll wear sweatpants or yoga pants or more to <laughs> the for the day. And that usually depends on whether I'm going to be on video or not. But I guess the, you know, when you ask that question more seriously about, you know, making decisions, you know, I I also think about um, my mindset um, and decision-making. And for example, today, I've had a lot of things to do on my things to do list and they've been getting lower on my list because it kind of put them off and feel like, oh, I have to do this today. But I realized I don't have to do anything. Instead, I get to do these things. And because I get to do this, I remind myself of how grateful I am, and the blessings that I have in this really robust and exciting career. And I get to help clients solve problems, and they call me to get it done.
2: Wow, just that simple reframing of the thought that's, that's impactful. Thank you for
0: sharing that.
1: And thanks very much to Mindy Neera and to Cindy Chang for letting us listen in on their conversation. We appreciate their time and perspectives. And thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time on Decision Dialogues for more stories from successful business owners. So long for now.
0: Thank you for listening to Decision Dialogues. We hope you found today's stories helpful for your own decision making. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can subscribe on your preferred podcasting app. Or visit our website, where you'll also find show notes and important disclosures. www.moderowealth.com forward slash decision dialogues. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.